Energy Crossroads, where we talk Texas clean energy. We are on a mission to learn more about how clean energy impacts a wide variety of industries. We'll explore conversations with industry leaders around clean energy trends and related technology, finance, the built environment, and policy opportunities impacting your organization. This podcast is powered by HARC, a research hub providing independent analysis on energy, air, and water issues to people seeking scientific answers and sponsored by SECO. State Energy Conservation Office. I'm your host, Gavin Billingham, Director of Clean Energy at HARC. Thanks for tuning in for our series of conversations we'll have with solution providers, finance experts to discuss clean energy investment practices and financing tools. I'm joined today by our co-host, HARC Research Scientist, Marina Bedouin-Criticos. Hi, Marina. How are you doing today? Hey, Gavin. It's good to be here. How are you? Not too bad. I'm very excited to get this conversation going today and learn more about clean energy opportunities in Texas. Well, and there's a lot going on in that space. And today we're going to dig into the topic of commercial property assessed clean energy finance or CPACE programs. Energy and real estate finance have always been hot topics. And I think as we're seeing with everything going on in the news right now, even more so today. So the city here in Houston and other cities across the state are moving forward on climate action plans. We're seeing a lot of companies, especially in this market, looking for ways to make their properties more competitive and ways to save money. So we're seeing that uh, CPACE is an innovative way to finance energy efficiency, clean energy, and water conservation improvements in commercial, industrial, multifamily projects uh, in the real estate market. So it turns out this program's been around since about 2005, and across the country, there's over $1.5 billion of investment in this space, with over $110 million of that in Texas alone. Wow, that's great. That's a pretty substantial amount of investment happening in this space. So today, we're going to talk about a finance vehicle that improves resource efficiency, creates jobs, stimulates the economy, and provides funds for energy and water efficiency projects in existing buildings. Sounds like a lot of fun. Look forward to learn more. Yeah, so today we are joined by two experts in this space. We've got Rachel Davis with us, who's the Senior Vice President of Sales at Petros, which is a financing source for commercial energy and water efficiency projects. We also have with us Seth Islami, who's the Chief Operating Officer and Property Manager at 1225 North Midwest, which is a commercial office building in Houston. So Rachel and Seth, thank you so much for joining us today for a deep dive into the world of Texas PACE. Hopefully, we're going to be able to really help understand folks what the program is and how it works. So to get started, you know, can you both just tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you got into this clean energy, energy efficiency workspace? Rachel, let's we'll start with you. Thanks, everyone. appreciate you having me on uh, with you today. This is always an exciting topic to speak about, so certainly happy to be here. So, you know, kind of how I, I got into this, I've been in the energy sector for probably about, oh, 15 plus years now and, you know, always was looking for an alternative source of financing for efficiency and renewable projects. And so about four years ago, I joined Petros Pace Finance. We are a national C-Pace lender in the market and since then have been working with clients such as Seth to help bring financing into their projects, whether it be new construction or a retrofit or gut rehab project, um, CPACE has been 
a really interesting source of uh, financing that's now coming in to help those projects. And so for, for Petros, we are headquartered out of Austin. I actually reside in Houston, but we work on projects, you know, across the country and, and are proud to, to be active with the TPA and have worked with projects that you guys uh, have, have helped facilitate across the state for the last few years. Great. Thanks, Rachel. So, Seth, how did you come to get to this space? Hi, Marina. Thanks for having me, of course. My experience is kind of simple. We have a building, old equipment. It was time for upgrades. They were actually very important. And we had a decision to make. You know, do we go to the reserves and get the funds or we find a good financing tool? I had heard about PACE program through a mutual friend of ours, John Myers, who used to be with Peloton Commercial Real Estate in Dallas. At the time that he told me PACE hadn't been uh, implemented in Houston yet, but they had it in Dallas. So by the time we started looking at it, I think we found out after a year or so that it was implemented in Houston as well. And it took us some time to find out what we need, how it works, went over with many different contractors, and we got lucky enough to meet people like you know, such as yourself or Rachel and Petros, and we were able to get everything done. We had a quite a big project. I think it was a $1.3 million project. So, Rachel, can you tell us a little bit about the PACE program? What is it? And really, what's Petros's role? Yeah, absolutely. So, really, at a, at a high level, commercial PACE can be considered an alternative source of low-cost, long-term financing that is designed to replace more expensive capital for projects that will make a facility more energy efficient, water efficient, or that generates power on site. It can be used really across all asset classes and can involve, like I mentioned earlier, it can be a retrofit of an existing operating building. It can be a gut rehabilitation. Um, and in some cases, it could even be new construction measures that would qualify for PACE as well. And so in most cases, PACE comes in before the work is completed, but there are some instances whereby PACE can be used retroactively to refinance out other forms of capital that may have been utilized initially to fund those efficiency measures. And so really our role as Petros and as a capital provider is we lend money into our borrowers. So PACE is not uh, funded by government money. It is all private capital that comes in to lend out to borrowers. And so as a firm, we have several billion of committed capital to put directly into C-PACE projects, whether it be in Texas or elsewhere in other active markets across the country. And I guess to speak in terms of, you know, why you may consider C-PACE or how it would be different than other forms of traditional financing, one of the, the biggest mechanical features of PACE is that it is repaid via a voluntary special assessment on property taxes. And so by that, the assessment is tied to the property as opposed to the owner and will seamlessly transfer to the next owner, you know, if the ownership changes hand during that time. And so just like other forms of property taxes, it can never accelerate. So it's also going to have a longer term. Usually it's set to meet or exceed the weighted average useful life of the efficiency measures that it is funding. So Typically, we're looking at a 20 to 25 year term that would go on to PACE assessments. And so that can be a little bit different than other forms of financing that may have a uh, shorter amortization period. 
And so what that really lets you do is carve out the portion of the improvements that you're making that are efficient and fund those with PACE and be able to repay that over the life of that equipment, which generally gives you that longer amortization, the lower annual payments. And so most times the measures that you're implementing actually pay for themselves over the term of the assessment, which is a really unique feature of commercial PACE. Sounds great. Thank you, Rachel. Seth, you mentioned uh, when you were kind of introducing yourself that you did a $1.3 million project. Can you give us more specifics on what that actually entailed and kind of the equipment you installed and kind of the process involved with that? So we installed two 320-ton chillers. In addition to be even more efficient, we decided to retrofit the current automation system for the air handlers, for you know, for the base of our system. So we implemented a new BAS system that controls the chillers and all the air handlers for the building. And then, you know, to make it even better, you know, icing on the cake, we went and retrofitted the entire lighting in the building with LED lights. Very nice. And so the, when you say BAS, you're referring to a building automation system that kind yes. of controls the yes. air conditioning and heating system. Correct. And so did you consider um, any other types of upgrades or anything in your in your project? We looked into a mixture of different systems, like cool roofs, more automations as far as the individual DAV valves and uh, individual thermostats throughout the building. But at that point, we decided that it's best to just move forward and get it done instead of sitting back and getting more information. We, we didn't want to, you know, in our line of work in Houston, if you want to change chillers, you need to do them when it's still cold, you know. Otherwise, you have to wait another year, and you can't. So time was of the essence for this particular yes. project. Get those, yes. get those upgrades in the chillers in and exactly. gain the energy efficiency benefits as quickly as possible. From our lending perspective, just to kind of jump in there, what you did, Seth, in your building is, is very typical with what we see across a lot of the asset types, right? Folks always, that's one of the most common questions we get is, okay, well, what exactly can C-PACE fund, right, in my project? And so anything that is in the electrical, mechanical, plumbing, building envelope, those are the most common measures that we see. And so just like you did with your lighting and your mechanical upgrades, eight times out of 10, maybe even more than that, those are the typical measures that we're funding for PACE projects. And a lot of times, and I think yours even started that way too, right? Where you were wanting to replace one thing and then once you kind of learned a little bit more about PACE and how the process worked and the funding, you decided, okay, well, let me pull this measure forward that I was gonna wait and do a little bit later. So a lot of times we'll see the projects start with one or two measures and then folks will decide to expand that and pull forward some of their deferred maintenance for the next you know, year or two out. One of the best things about it is the project has to be self-sufficient. It has to pay for itself. So when our eyes were open to the amount of savings you can get through, you know, like, for example, LED lighting project, it's hard not to do it. You're like, oh, my God, th this is amazing. It doesn't just pay for itself. It actually makes money for itself after a time. You're absolutely right. A lot of times, right, it reduces your operating expenses such that it's, you know, a boost to your NOI, right, which yeah. then translates into your, your property value. So it has big impact. How much did operation and maintenance 
costs go into when you were looking at LED lights? There were kind of two sides to it. One is the operations. You know, you have all the equipment where which they're not efficient at the same time, they're not very productive. So you have tenants in the office who are hot, who are constantly complaining that this is too hot, this is too hot. Do something about it. And there's really not much you can do. And on the other side is the savings on, on labor, on efficiency, on electricity, on maintenance people being on site all the time. I think our work orders through the system went down significantly. We're up to the point that the building gets so cold so fast in August that people are complaining that, hey, I'm too cold. Can you do something about it? It's a huge difference. I think our maintenance staff were extremely satisfied with the results. Their life got so much easier after this. And tenant satisfaction definitely is the key when it comes to property assets, isn't it? I would have to add that when we were going through these projects, we were about 70-something percent occupied. And today, as of now, we're about 93% occupied. That's fabulous. And earlier, you had both talked about you know, an increase in NOI or net operating income and a decrease in operating expenses. And has there been a built-in opportunity to look at maybe passing some of that through or showcasing the improved efficiency of the building that you think has helped to improve your occupancy? Absolutely. Definitely. We lowered the operating expenses. Of course, you know, the payments were through property tax. So on the landlord side, they were happy because they would just have the tenants pay for it. That's the other genius part of the pace. Basically, the landlord gets a loan that gets paid by the tenants through the property tax assessment. And I think that's a really unique piece about PACE is the fact that the property owner can use PACE to make the improvements, as we said, without a large upfront cash investment. And then there's the opportunity to potentially, depending on the lease structure, to pass it through to the tenants. Rachel, can you talk a little bit more about how that works? So we see it, and, and it's really not just in commercial office as well. So we've seen it with some of our retail clients, and we've seen it with some hospitality borrowers as well. And so again, just because it is a property tax assessment doesn't mean that anyone has to pass it through. It just means that you now have a different option than you had before. And so we have some that will elect to build it into their performance and they will collect 100% of that as a pass through to their clients who a lot of times are benefiting from those improvements, right? Because for instance, a triple net leased building they're paying for their own power, but if you make um, an upgrade to your chiller that creates more efficiency, their energy bills go down. But with the upsplit incentive, the owner may not be incentivized to ever replace that chiller because they're not the ones really getting the benefit of that investment. That's getting passed directly to the occupants that are have their own leases. And so in this case, that way they're incentivized now to go ahead and make that improvement with the ability to pass through all or a portion of what that expenditure is to get that done. And so we are seeing that, like I said, across office, retail, as well as hospitality. And it's certainly, you know, never a requirement of the PACE capital provider, but it is solely just an option that the borrowers would have if they choose to take it. So that brings to mind a good point, Rachel. Um, you know, we've been focusing on office for this conversation, but there are a variety of different property types that are eligible to use PACE, correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Really, 
there, there aren't a lot of bad assets or commercial pace, but I would say the ones that are most active right now would be mixed use, retail, hospitality, uh, multifamily, office, as well as senior living, student housing. So I think that probably encompasses the majority of the asset classes out there, minus industrial, but we are seeing it quite heavily with hospitality as well as mixed use facilities right now. So, and I, and I can't even say, you know, geographically, if there's, you know, a concentration, you know, Texas is a big market for CPACE and we've had a lot of investment put into projects in the state, but we're really seeing it across the country. And I can't even, it's not in one state, one city. It's, it's very broad. And especially right now in the market environment that we're in, folks awareness of pace and their willingness to do something that's a little bit outside the box, that's still a little bit new. They're giving it, you know, a second look because there is a need in the market today with, you know, lenders pulling back and potentially it's just a good opportunity if occupancy is down. That's amazing for you, Seth. You guys have a a heavily occupied building and that's great to see, but some folks aren't quite there. And so they're using uh, this kind of downturn to improve their assets. And so it's a good time for them to move forward with measures that could be funded by PACE. So it sounds like whether it's an owner-occupied building or a leased facility and pretty much any facility type except for government or single family, you should be looking at PACE as a potential funding mechanism. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it won't be a fit for every single project every single time depending on kind of the the mechanics and the specifics of that project, but it is certainly worth exploring for those projects when they're there. Great. Now, I would like to go back to something that was kind of touched on earlier as far as some of the benefits around PACE. And, and I guess that it has to deal more with if you're a building owner and you want to potentially sell this property in the next few years, but you also see the benefit of energy efficiency and you're not feeling like maybe you get the full benefit of that type of investment. How does PACE help you potentially, you know, maybe increase the likelihood of this investment if you wanted to sell your property? It's kind of complicated, but simple at the same time. Improving the NOI, the value of the building, but by making those upgrades automatically increases the value of that property. So the PACE was the asset that in a way you want to do the project, you don't have to go to the reserve, take the funds, these, these, you know, to apply these projects to your building. It's going to pay for itself and someone else is going to fund it. So it's not affecting your operating expense in any way. So now you have a property, a building with new equipment, more efficient, better to other people's eyes without costing anything else. And once you have that, you know, it looks better, it feels better, you'll be more productive, you get more clients, you get more people trying to you know, get more interest into it. Yeah, a- absolutely. That's that's very helpful. And I guess one of the other potential ways in which people can overcome kind of sometimes that energy efficiency investment barrier is that when you wanted to sell your property, that the PACE project goes with the property. You're not on the on the exactly. for paying yes. off that that that's off trust. Yeah, it's a great form of financing. Just the fact that you can keep it in place, or you also have the ability to repay the assessment potentially if you so needed to do that. So there's a lot of optionality that comes along with it. But, you know, the fact that you can facilitate renewable and efficient improvement, and so you can see that side of the green, 
But then when you're talking about the actual financials that go along with it, to your point, Beth, right, it's you also, it, it's increasing in OI, it's increasing your building value. So you're really getting the best of, of both worlds. So it's a really compelling argument. And you have a better building in general after doing these projects. You have a better building. It's nicer. It's more appealing to people. And when they look at it, they're like, yeah, you have brand new equipment, millions of dollars worth of equipment. And so with that case, when it comes down to it, fundamentally is structured as the asset-based lending that runs with the land. So any obligation, as you said, you know, is automatically going to transfer to the next owner if you as property owner decide to divest the asset is what I'm hearing, or you could pay it off prior to selling. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. The the PACE assessment is going to be there for the next 20 or, or 30 years, whatever is set out via the amortization it closed. And, you know, I don't know if we, we touched on this, but it is fixed rate financing. So it's a set fully amortizing assessment over the next, call it 20, 30 years. And what is it that enables the lenders to want to do this longer term? We have a, a, a long-term asset that we are lending into that's going to be improved. We've, we've vetted to make sure, just like any other uh, lender on the project, that it's going to meet the underwriting criteria, whether it be the appropriate amount of loan to value or debt that's on the project, that it is cash flowing after the implementation of the measures and the repayment is factored in as well. And so, you know, we make sure that when we when we lend into these projects that that they make good financial sense and that there is someone that's going to be occupying and utilizing these facilities for the next 20, 30 years that they've been upgraded. But the equipment, right, is, is going to be upgraded for that next 20 or 30 years as well. So Seth, was that any issue for you all when you were looking at PACE with your ownership? No, not really. We, we had no debt and we looked into it. We were fine with it. Um, and it's mainly against the land, which secures it and makes the lender happy. And our owners didn't have any plans on selling. Not that Pace would stop it from selling, you know, but uh, no, this was not an issue at all. Yeah, and I would say you you guys are a little bit more on the unique side there, Seth, but, but a lot of the projects that we work alongside, whether it be existing assets, do have mortgage lenders on the other side, or if it's a gut rehabilitation or a, a new construction project, there's typically at least one other lender that we're working alongside. And so we try to... Um, just another role that we fill as the PACE lender or the PACE capital provider is just working with those lending partners to make sure that they understand exactly how PACE works, how the how it doesn't affect their rights and remedies and ability to foreclose on an asset. And so we're, we're typically uh, heavily involved in those conversations, making sure that they are willing to consent to have commercial PACE on the transaction alongside them. And then obviously working through the underwriting and closing process simultaneously with them. Kind of following along the same line here, um, for, for both of you, I'm just kind of curious, and I know you, you have one specific project there, Seth, but and also for you, Rachel, you see tons of these projects. So how, how typically are these projects largely 100% financed by PACE, or what, or is there more kind of diversity in that capital stack, kind of depending on where you're looking and maybe the sector you're dealing with? 
Yeah, if you if you want, I'll kind of jump in on that one. And so it really depends. You know, if it's a, a retrofit project, then it's typically let's let's call it a, a one to two million dollar pace retrofit, similar to what Seth did here. Generally, that's 100% funded by uh, commercial pace. But if you're looking at a gut rehabilitation, for instance, maybe someone's taking a historic building and completely redoing that. Pace is capped between 20 to 25% of the stabilized value. So when you look at it from that perspective, it is going to be a much smaller portion of the overall capital stack there. It's going to be, you know, probably 60 to 70 to sometimes 75% uh, would be a, a senior lender that's involved in that, along with sometimes other historic tax credits, new market tax credits. Some of these projects can get extremely complex on the capital stack side. And can you just define stabilized value for those that are maybe new to that that term there? Yeah, so for every commercial pace project, we're going to look for the valuation. Um, and in development projects, we're going to defer to an appraiser's uh, report done within the last 12 months. And so stabilization is the period with which the project has leased up and is operating on a steady basis uh, so that the pro forma projections for NOI and their revenue sources and, and operating costs should be somewhat consistent. And so that gives us an idea of what those long-term cash flows are going to look like for our underwriting. So Seth, as you were getting into this, you mentioned that you found out about PACE by uh, a colleague that you had spoken to and really kind of went on this journey of self-learning to find out more. So if a property owner is looking to learn more about PACE in general and the Texas PACE program more specifically, what do you think the best process would be? Where should they go? The best source would be PACESPACEAuthority.org. They have all sorts of information, case studies, you name it, Q&A, all sorts of very useful information, name of contractors, vendors, companies who can help you through the process. It was very useful and uh, I contacted them directly and they were very helpful as well with connecting me and putting me in the right path. Because it was difficult, you know, this was something that even the people who introduced me to it, they had never done. I think my project was the first office project in Texas. So I, I literally, there wasn't anybody that I could go and ask and say, what is this or how did you do this? So, you know, I had to self-educate a lot and it, it worked out. They were very helpful. This is space authority. Congratulations for being the first. That's quite the quite a big step for you guys. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Rachel, do you want to throw something in there for Pace Nation? Yeah, Pace Nation um, is another great website. Again, has general information on Pace as it would pertain to Texas, but then also much more broadly, just policy-wise. If you're looking to see which jurisdictions or which states have Pace, that's a great resource. They also have some white papers on there just in terms of, you know, items like which lenders have consented to having C-PACE on their projects and, you know, how to speak to mortgage lenders or triple net pass-through. So there's there's a lot of great resources out there. Well, we like to we like to end our podcast with, uh, with a question to all of our, uh, all the folks that come on and we interview. And, and the question we'd like to ask both of you is, what is the most vital step Texas needs to take, whether it's in the private or public sector? to maintain its leadership as the energy capital? You know, I mean, Texas has been one of the most active states uh, when it comes to, at least from the commercial pace 
uh, perspective and making sure that, you know, as, as folks are creating efficiency and sustainability goals really across the country, right, that they're also providing a tool for constituents to use to be able to make it easier to, to do these upgrades. And so Texas has certainly done that, you know, continued expansion of the program, I think is going to continue to be vital. We've, we've seen that that has happened, you know, with San Antonio coming online here in Texas just over the last what, month or two. There are still uh, a few spots that we would love to see some additional expansion, but I don't know, Marina, what's the percentage of uh, Texans that now have access to commercial pace? I think it's 60% having access to commercial pace. You know, that's that's really great. And then just continued fine, fine-tuning of the program that so that it adapts with the changing needs of the market, right? Just in terms of processes, in terms for retroactivity or for uh, new construction on developed lots, whatever it might be. A lot of that continues to take place, which is really great to see. And then who knows what the future is going to hold, right? You know, we've seen programs pull in resiliency measures to allow those to access commercial pace. And who knows if COVID prevention or mitigation measures would be the next item to pull in. So just that flexibility and continued eye toward what's really important to continuing uh, to be a leader in the market would be would be great. They always say everything is bigger in Texas. I think everything should be more efficient in Texas. I think <laughs> even though we are the energy capital, we produce so much energy. I don't think we are there yet when it comes to efficiency. I think there's a lot of energy that is going to waste. And the people that I talk to, like for example, the center point, they're still struggling to maintain enough power for the entire city because there's just so much waste. A lot of buildings after the recent changes with EPA and Energy Star couldn't get their Energy Star scores up. I mean, there's a lot of efficiency to a lot of energy efficiency projects to be done and taken. You know, we have a long way to go. We're, we're just wasting so much energy. Yeah, we're producing a lot, but I think there's so much to be done. And this would be a fantastic tool for these companies and owners to use and make things better. That's a great sentiment right there, absolutely. If we can do everything bigger in Texas, let's do our energy efficiency bigger in Texas. This was a great discussion today, so I'd like to, to thank uh, once again Rachel Davis, who's Senior Vice President of Sales at Petros, and also uh, Seth Deslami, who's Chief Operating Officer and Property Manager over at our very first Texas commercial property to have pace over at 1225 North West. So thank you both of you for, uh, for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. I'd like to thank everybody for joining us today. You've been listening to Energy Crossroads, where we discuss the Texas clean energy movement. Visit harkresearch.org to learn more. I'm Gavin Dillingham. Marina Bedouin-Criticos is my co-host. The Energy Crossroads podcast is powered by Hark and made in partnership with SECO, the State Energy Conservation Office. Thanks for listening to Energy Crossroads. Please help spread the word by rating and reviewing the show, and then stay tuned for the next episode. Take care, everyone.